times. And um, we do this district level, and then there's the national level. And uh, some of our students went to national just this um, couple weeks ago and, and did just great, did amazingly well. Um, Anna Winslow was, was uh, participating in a um, short speechy thing, <laughs> spoken word. And, um, and uh, so she writes this herself. And uh, it's, it's, just, it's just powerful. I, I mentioned this the first time I heard it a couple months ago, a few months ago. It, it caught me that this was, I believe, way above her. I believe this, those are signs of gifting rather than just um, a, a conscious ability to accomplish something. There's a, there's a supernatural gifting in this, in that's involved here. And so uh, we've asked her to do this this morning to uh, present what she presented at nationals. And at the national level, she won the entire thing. <clears throat> so there's a lot of benefit there. There's, there's things that, that comes along with her with that. There's also scholarships and all kinds of things to uh, universities that, that she gets uh, for this. But uh, regardless, irregardless of all of that, it's just the fact that she is saying and doing something that is, I believe, inspired by God, and I think you'll think so too. Anna? Thank you. Uh, this is an original uh, spoken word poetry piece that I wrote. Um, entitled, What Happened to the Church? Let me ask you, what happened to the church? It seems as though over time your brick walls have turned to plastic and you've gotten distracted from the gospel and more interested in novel ideas and trends that will attract more sheep to your weekend ritual where you tell them what they want to hear and glaze over their eyes so they can't quite decipher truth from lies. I just want to go back to when the church was still on fire, when Paul rejoiced through prison bars because God let him die a martyr when preachers were teachers, not performers, and when God was a treasure, not a salesman you could paste on billboards and pamphlets advertising the fake promise of a satisfied conscience at the price of a quarter in the offering. If the church is the body of Christ, tell me when did Christ say he got plastic surgery? Because God does not reside inside fake hearts filled with plaster or Ken dolls dressed as pastors. You can't twist God's plan for creation just by claiming mistranslation. God's word cannot be changed with all the whiteout ever made or saying your ideas of Christianity are more updated or revised because what? Jesus changed his mind? Why is there dust in your Bibles and cobwebs on your crosses, yet a top-notch cash register in your cafe and new spotlights for the stage? Don't you think our God is enough and God's words are enough? Then why do you bedazzle your sermons with sequins and fluff? And why do you distract from the worship of the great I am because you are worrying about what they are thinking about your high notes instead of what he is doing in the hearts of the congregation? Listen, Jesus doesn't need lights and speakers to speak light. Our God is the God who turned water into wine and seas into paved stones. He healed the blind, so why can't you see my God who's not held back by gravestones? Jesus lived a perfect life so he could be the perfect sacrifice on a not-so-perfect cross for some not-so-perfect people like you and like me. 
Countries cannot outlaw him. Kings cannot tame him. Pastors can't fully explain him. And Satan can't chain him. Yet you think God is so shallow that you could contain him in a bowl as big as your earthly limitations, when in reality, one drop of his power could fill 10 billion oceans and save entire nations. Right now, you have a chance to choose what's right or what's not. Will you continue to replace perfection with something fake? Or will you let God fix what you continue to break? Thank you. Very solid. Thank you, Anna. Now I'm worried about my message this morning. <laughs> yeah, I've got to change the whole thing now. So, um, I did. Uh, I did want to mention there was. Uh, you probably were paying attention to this, but uh, and and part of the reason I mentioned this is I don't think this is. Uh, these things are all coincidental. I think there's a lot of things that are happening right now across the, our country and across the world that are not coincidence. I think they're very um, intentionally orchestrated, not by people, but by Satan, okay? Um, you probably saw this week where the, uh, the CDC has been outed by many different states and many health organizations for falsifying much of the information about how many people, two sides, how many people died from COVID. They're, they're, if you remember about a year ago, about six months into COVID, I, I showed you a specific line item in the CDC website that was saying that the deaths to actual COVID, actual COVID deaths were about 10 to 15% of overall numbers being reported. That has not changed. It's still only about 10 to 15% of the numbers of, of COVID deaths are actually COVID deaths. And now they're coming out with this and they're pushing back. Florida is one of the biggest ones that put all the stuff out there this week that said that uh, CDC was, was tripling, quadrupling, and even up to, to 70, 80% changing the numbers of the people that have been uh, actually killed by COVID. I mentioned this myself when my mother passed away. They tried to say that was a COVID death and she had kidney failure. And, and this is continuing to happen. Now they're doing a lot of statistical analysis of this stuff, and many health organizations are doing this also in showing that, they, that they've been lying to us, the CBC, CDC. They said, they, oops, they made a mistake, and they'll try to fix it. But this is blatant, and it's been it's being intentional lying to us. Um, and also, the other side of it is, is a lot of this, the, um, the uh, health problems and things that are coming from the vaccines are being hidden, too. There's a lot of negative stuff from this, okay? Now, again, I've said this. This, this, is, this is all I can do is just throw this out here, and you guys process it. Um, if you're older, whatever, get the vaccine. You're going to die anyway. So, but younger people, please listen to this. Younger men, women, it's more for women right now than it is for men. But I'm just processing this. I can't see how this could only affect women. But they're, they're already seeing sterility rates going up in young women that are getting the vaccine. So, so guys, girls... I, to me, it's too late five years from now for them to come back and say, oops, we made a mistake. Um, all you cannot have children. It's too late at that point. 
And so just think about this stuff. Think about it. I mean, you, you, this, this is my deal. If you want to get the vaccine, it's your deal. You, you are a private individual. Nobody should have a say in whether you get the vaccine. Not the government, not anybody. But if you say you don't want to, nobody should have a say in that either. Um, we're starting to see a lot of uh, groups. I'm, I've been writing letters, a lot of letters, uh, to help people um, in military and outside the military that are trying to get a religious exemption from this vaccine. And there is such a thing, okay? They're hiding it, specifically in the military, they're hiding it, but the Pentagon itself came out last week and said that there is a religious exemption available. And so if you, if you need help with that, there's, there's letters online you can get. I'll write you a letter, we'll do everything we can to somehow get into your legal file at your work that you see this as a, as a religious issue, okay? Um, so just, just throwing that out there. Uh, something else that I, I saw this last week, which, which is, uh, is playing into a little bit of what I'm speaking about this morning, but the American Bible Society did some studies, and they, they uh, questioned Gen X, and then they also questioned millennials, and they broke Gen X into, I mean, I'm not, sorry, I'm Gen X, Gen Z. Uh, they broke Gen Z into two categories. Gen Z is everything from 15 to 24 years old right now, and they broke them into two categories of 15 to 17, which is Gen Z youth, and then Gen Z adults, which is 18 to 24, and then millennials, which are 25 to about 35 uh, right now. Who knew millennials were getting so old, right? <laughs> Kids, babies. So the American Bible Society found that only 9% of Gen Z youth, 15 to 17, were classified as scripture engaged, which means being centered on reading the Bible. They have some kind of reading the Bible in their life, less than 10%, 9% of Gen Z youth, and only 14% of Gen Z adults uh, have, have a uh, regular connection with the Bible, and 23% of millennials were classified as scripture engaged. And I was reading, this is a very big article that was put out, and, and I was reading down through it, and this one caught my attention too. This was way toward the end of the article. It said that the American Bible Society also found that during the pandemic and the widespread protest over racial injustice in 2020, Gen Z youth were the most likely to report decreasing their reading of the Bible. These are not um, accidental things and they're not coincidental things. Satan is very intentional and he's playing us. He's attacking us. Satan's goal, his job, is to destroy you, to kill you. It's not, it's not just, and we can be caught up in this, it's not just do away with um, democracy and freedom in America. Satan is not as concerned about that as we might think he is. He's way more concerned about destroying your soul. He wants to take your soul, your existence to hell. That's his, that's his driving passion. He hates God and you look a lot like him. And, he's, and he can't stand that. And so he's trying to destroy anything that, that uh, resembles God in our existence. Uh, things like democracy and stuff are, are we know, and because of the great experiment, we know that that's the, it's potentially the best uh, vehicle for taking the gospel around the world, and that's why Satan hates it. But at the end of the day, if he can destroy you and, and you still get the president that you want in the White House, he's okay. He's okay with that. And so, so make sure that we balance this. God's word is the only hope for humanity, and Satan has convinced the younger generations that the Bible is irrelevant, and it's their only hope. Think, think about how important that is. Years ago, back in the uh, um, early to mid-90s, I was a youth pastor in Texas, and I went to 
I went to Houston on a missions trip, and a bunch of youth groups met there, and we did a bunch of things that. But there was a, a um, guy, I don't remember his name, I don't, know, I don't remember who he is or anything, but I, I remember he did the devotion one of the days before we went out onto the, to the inner city streets. And he said this, this statement, and it, 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 it's, it's, it's messed with me for years. Obviously, this is almost 30 years later, and it's still messing with me. But he said, well, the, the biggest danger, now this is almost 30 years ago, and, and it seems a lot more true today. But he said the biggest danger that we're seeing in the church is that we're getting just enough God, just enough scripture, just enough of the gospel to inoculate us and build up a resistance to the, to the real truth of what God's trying to do through his word. The real, the, the depth of conviction, the, 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 the real uh, living power that the word can have in our life. And so he said, so then therefore, we don't let the Holy Spirit convict us, and we don't live it out, and we don't tell people about Jesus. Because we have just enough of God that we are okay with us, even if we're not being obedient, we're not fulfilling the Great Commission, we're not living in holiness, and all these other things. We tell ourselves that we're okay because we have enough, and, and we talked about this Wednesday night with C.S. Lewis, where, where he wrote that... It's not about really getting in prayer. It's just about feeling spiritually good. It's about the mood, the spiritual mood, not the truth of the power of God's word or prayer or the, the, the power and presence of the Holy Spirit. Because I really believe that's where we have come to in America. There is, there's constantly um, tension and discussion going on with, with major Christian figures that are coming out and saying very anti-biblical things and saying they're going to take these stances like abortion and stuff. That they're, that they're pro-abortion, but, but solid Christian leaders. And, and I'm sorry, I just, I, that's not what my Bible says. You can't, those, those are not compatible. And so there, there, there's this moment where we're saying, okay, well, am I going to just be inoculated by God's word, or do I really want God's word to be deep in my heart, deep in my heart? Do I want his truth to, to change me? Not me make the rules, but God make the rules. Not how I think things should be, but how God thinks things should be. And that's, that's going to be a constant um, um, tension in our life. It's going to be a fight. It's going to be a battle going on in our spirit. Uh, well, we can actually see truth. We can see it in God's word or somebody telling us truth. And we resist it because it's about feeling. It's about the, the emoting or something else. And so I want to start with a video. <clears throat> I love this video. I've showed it a couple times over the last decade. It's one of my favorite videos. Um, and, and, um, and usually I use it for marriage and things like that, but, but it, it applies here, where you've got a major issue that you know is a major issue, the other person knows it's a major issue, but we don't let somebody speak into our life or help us with this, and much less the Holy Spirit or God or something else. So let's, let's look at this. It's just, there's all this pressure, you know? And sometimes it feels like it's right up on me and I can just feel it, like literally feel it in my head and it's relentless. And I don't know if it's gonna stop. I mean, that's the thing that scares me the most is that I don't know if it's ever gonna stop. Yeah. Well, you do have a nail in your head. It is not about the nail. Are you sure? Because, I mean, I'll bet if we got that out of there. Stop would... trying to fix it. No, I'm not trying to fix it. I'm just pointing out that maybe the nail is causing. You always do this. 
You always try to fix things when what I really need is for you to just listen. No, see, I don't think that is what you need. I think what you need is to get the nail See, out. you're not even listening now. Okay, fine, I will listen, fine. It's just, sometimes it's like, there's this achy, I don't know what it is. And I'm not sleeping very well at all. And all my sweaters are snagged. I mean, all of them. That sounds really hard. It is. Thank you. Ow! Come on, Ow. if you would just- Don't! Try to see things my- All right. Now that you're all ready to accept that you have a nail in your head, um, we can look at this. In Numbers chapter 22, starting in verse 1, it says, Then the people of Israel traveled to the plains of Moab, and King had seen everything the Israelites did to the Amorites. And when the people of Moab saw how many Israelites there were, they were terrified. The kings of Moab said to the elders of Midian, This mob will devour everything in sight, like an ox devours grass in the field. So Balak, king of Moab, sent messengers to call Balaam, son of Beor, who was living in his native land of Pethor, near the Euphrates River. Now, uh, Balak is scared of the Israelites, and so he, he calls for, for Balaam to come to him. Right? Come, come see me, and he offers him a bunch of money. Um, Balaam refuses at first, and then he, they, they say, well, we'll give you lots of money. So he gets to thinking about the money, and then he heads off and heads for Balaam. And this is where, uh, for, ba for Balak, and this is where uh, the, the, the donkey speaks to him, right? And, um, and rather than saying, oh, there's a donkey speaking to him, he gets mad at the donkey and starts beating the donkey. It, it, shouldn't you at least pause and go, mm, I don't know if this really is the way it's going to be, should be going. But so he, he gets, um, he finally repents and says, God, I, I see that this is you. It's the angel of the Lord. I see that you're trying to speak to me, not a donkey. You're trying to speak to me, and he repents. And then God says, okay, go ahead and go to Balak, but only tell him what I tell you to tell him. Now, something you may not have processed before is that, that uh, Balaam is not a prophet of God. Sometimes we think that because he speaks for God here. But he's not a prophet of God. He's not an Israelite. He's not part of that. In fact, um, well, it says that he is in the land of Pethor near the Euphrates River. This is not where the Israelites are from. And on top of that, later on, he convinces King Balak the, uh, and the people of Moab, the Moabites, he convinces them the way you're going to beat the Israelites is not by war, but by you know, sliding in the back door and, and um, having your uh, wives marry them, pull them into uh, um, religious worship of, of not God, of false gods, and that actually works, and then through the process, uh, Balaam actually gets killed through this. But, but uh, Balaam is not a prophet of God, but God speaks to him through this whole thing, which I, I find very interesting. Those are the kind of moments when you're thinking, well, how did that happen or whatever or whatever. But so, so, so Balak says, okay, Balaam, I want you to come to me. Finally, Balaam gets to where Balak is, and that's where we um, catch up on this. He wants, he wants Balaam to curse the Israelites so that they will... Um, lose the battle. Now, here's something to process. I, I, this is, there really is a this discontinuity through this whole story over and over and over. It's like bizarre um, disconnect where, <clears throat> where Balak recognizes 
the spiritual importance and significance of God speaking and then of God either blessing or cursing the Israelites uh, through, through Balaam. And, and he submits to that understanding, but he doesn't submit to the, what the word is. He says, God speak. And then when God speaks, he hates it and he, and he, doesn't, he doesn't go with it. So, so look at this. Um, there's, there's three efforts here that he does. The effort number one, this is Balak. Effort number one, Numbers chapter 23, verse one. Then Balaam said to King Balak, build me seven altars here and prepare seven young bulls and seven rams for me to sacrifice. Balak followed his instructions. The king does this stuff. The king believes in this so much that he prepares all of these altars for the, for the seven and the seven, all this. He prepares all this stuff, does all these things because he believes that this is truth. This, this is the weird part. He believes it, so he does all this. Balak followed his instructions, and the two of them sacrificed a young bull and a ram on each altar. Then Balaam said to Balak, stand here by your burnt offerings, and I will go see what the Lord will respond to me. Um, but Balaam was basically a diviner. He was a fortune teller. But God speaks to him through this. I, I've seen that happen in, in different times in, in my life where you know this person is not following God, but God speaks through them to somebody else because it's very important for God to get that message. I don't really totally get that. I don't understand that. I mean, right before this in this story, he speaks to a donkey. So I, I kind of get it, but I've never been spoke to through a, by a donkey. So I struggle with this a little bit. Maybe if God would have me, like my, my, the birds in my yard, just speak to me, maybe I would embrace this a little bit more. But so, so Balaam at least is being spoke to by God. He says, then I'll tell you whatever he reveals to me. So Balaam went alone to the top of a bare hill, and God met him there. Balaam said to him, I have prepared seven altars and sacrificed a young bull and a ram on each other. The Lord gave Balaam a message for King Balak. Then he said, go back to Balak and, and give him my message. And, and the message wasn't good. Well, it was good if you're an Israelite, but it wasn't good if you're King Balak or the Moabites. And basically, God said, I'm going to bless the Israelites. I'm not going to curse them. So Balak gets upset at this. And in verse 11, it says, Then King Balak demanded of Balaam, What have you done to me? Now think about that sentence. He says, Balaam, I need you to come and tell me what God is saying. So then he comes and does all the altar stuff. And Balak is the one who prepares all the altars, gets all the animals ready, does all the stuff. Then they sacrifice together. Then God speaks to Balaam. Then Balaam comes back to Balak and says, This is what God has said. And he's mad at Balaam. Balaam really is kind of insignificant in the big picture of all this. He's just the guy just saying the stuff. But Balak gets mad at Balaam, and he's holding Balaam accountable for what God is saying. And he's upset about it. And he says, what have you done to me? I brought you here to curse my enemies. But see, what I thought you said, Balak, was, Balaam, go see what God says. You asked for what God thought about this, what God was going to do or say, but now you're saying the real reason you brought Balaam here was to curse the Israelites. Instead, you have blessed them. But Balaam replied, I will speak only the message the Lord puts in my mouth. This, it's, it's amazing to me how easy, I've done this, you've done this, how easy this is for us to say, God, I want your will, I want your plan. And then God says, okay, here is my will. We're like, mm, I need a different will. 
What is, what is option number two? We do that so easily, guys. But, but at the end of the day, if we really want God to speak, he will tell... Now, let me, let me throw this in here because I think this is pretty important. If you argue with God long enough, he will let you have your way. Do you know that? I, I've, I've messed some things up pretty bad in life because I have worked enough until God said, okay, do what you want. Since that's what you're going to do anyway, do what you want. But he's saying, okay, God, I need what you... I need you to tell me, but not really. So this is what he does in verse 13 of Numbers 23. Then King Balak told him, come with me to another place. Because we're not getting what I need here. I'm not, I've had people say this to me as a pastor. I'm going to talk a lot about me this morning in this arena more than I normally do. Okay, I, I, Normally I don't like to go here. I just, it's not my thing. But here's a, here's a reality. I've had people over the years tell me, I'm just not getting fed here. This, this, let me tell you. Let me just be honest. I joke about things a lot, but I know what I'm preaching, and I know how fulfilling it is. Right? If you say, well, I'm not getting anything, because you're not stepping up to the table. It's not my fault. I preach good. <laughs> Write that down. <laughs> I, I, I mean, I joke about that a little bit. Guys, but I, don't, I take this very seriously. I, I, know, I know what I'm preaching. I know what God's Word says. I know what's happening here. It doesn't mean I always get it right, but I know, I know what God's Word says. And I don't play around with stuff. I mean, you can't be here very long at all before you know I don't. I'm not trying to trim the edges so we feel good about it. In fact, sometimes I just throw stuff in there to make you feel bad. He says, let's go to somewhere else. Because I don't like what's going on here. There you will see another part of the nation of Israel. But not all of them. Curse at least the, that many. This is like a sixth grader. This literally is making no sense. He is, he is asking. See, I don't, I don't understand this. He's, he sees the significance of the blessing and the cursing way beyond our culture understands. You, you know that, right? We don't have a blessing and a cursing mentality built into our culture, in a, in a Western culture. We don't have it. It doesn't exist. And things like naming your children and then blessing your children according to the name and then that passing down all through their life and it happening all through their life, that is all through the Old Testament. We don't see things like that. We don't do stuff like that in our American society. Balak, Balak gets this more than we even possibly understand. And he understands that Balaam can actually speak this stuff and this, and, it, and this stuff happen. And even with all of that, the knowledge that God's in charge, the knowledge that God can bless and curse, and it determines soldiers and kingdoms and future and everything. And then he doesn't go by it. He tries to change it. He knows that that you can get the truth in the church. He knows you can get the truth in the Word of God. But when it all comes out, he gets to church and he's upset because of something that happened at the coffee shop at the church. And it's more important of, of did somebody say hello to me? Or it's, it's more important of, of the setting of the building or something than the actual reason that we say we come to church sometimes. Than the actual truth. 
and, and, the, and the relevance into our life and our existence. It's, it's weird how easily that he's doing this. So he says, um, we'll, we'll just go to where you can only see some of them. Then just, you know, can you curse just them, that group? Just a small group. So Balak took Balaam to the plateau of Zophim. I, I, you you want to say, Balaam, how much are you going to do this? A donkey already argued with you about this. At what point do you go, I don't think, we're kind of wasting our time here, Balak. Right? So Balak took Balaam to the plateau of Zophim on Pisgah Peak. He built seven altars there and offered a young bull and a ram on each altar. Then Balaam said to the king, Stand here by your burnt offerings while I go over to meet the Lord. And the Lord met Balaam and gave him a message. Then he said, Go back to Balak and give him the message. And again, it wasn't good. It was, I'm not going to curse the Israelites. I'm going to bless them and they're going to win wars. Okay? Then Balak said to Balaam, Fine. But if you won't curse them, at least don't bless them. (laughs) Have you ever parsed something like this with God? I have. I've I've argued with God. I've parsed this stuff. I've I've done many examples of this over the years. I've I've told you some of the details. I won't go into full detail now. But even even to come here to be pastor here, I argued with God for months and months. In fact, I kind of own this. Um, the church went through difficulties during that transition period that I think if I would have got my attitude right and come here when I was supposed to, uh, Briargate wouldn't have struggled through some of the stuff they struggled through. I, I think that was, that was on me some. I don't want to take all the credit. But it was on me some. Because that happened in that transition time when I'm arguing with God about this. Guys, God, God's got a plan. And if you just do what he says, it's amazing what he can accomplish. But when you start trying to do your way and your will and your efforts and all this other stuff, you're going to cause yourself and many other people problems. But now, Balaam, Balak again, he's like, well, let's figure out another plan. And Balaam is doing it again. Now, why? Because remember, he was offered a lot of money. That's why he got on the donkey in the first place, is because he was offered a lot of money. At first he said, no, I'm not going. They said, but there's going to be a lot of money given to you. Well, okay, I could, I could try. And he heads up, all right? So he says, fine, but, but if you won't curse them, at least, at least don't bless them. Balaam replied to Black, didn't I tell you that I can only do what the Lord tells me? And we do have to give uh, Balaam some, some credibility here because um, he's holding strong. God's saying this. Balaam could have just made something up, right? He could have just said, well, you know, um, it's going to go wonderfully for you. You should invade. I'm going to go wait back here. You should invade. Uh, give me all the money. Couldn't he have done that? You ever had somebody speak that something like that into your life? Where they're just telling you what you want to hear? They're just trying to say good things so that you like it? I, I, that drives me crazy. I, I hate that kind of stuff. I hate, I hate fake. I, I, I just I, I despise it. I hate fake and I hate people just fluffing, right? It's it's more harmful than it is helpful. So effort number three, verse 27. Then King Balak said to Balaam, come, I will take you to one more place. Perhaps it will please God to let you curse them from there. Like God's going to go, you know what? I didn't think about this. This is a much better place. I'm cursing those Israelites. I did not think about this. As we do this, we do this in Christianity. We do this. 
We'll just move from place to place to place until we find something that, that, that benefits us. We do that in, in our church world. We do that in our workplace. We do that in a lot of situations. Keep going till it benefits me. That's, that's very dangerous. So Balak took Balaam to the top of Mount Peor, overlooking the wasteland. Balaam again told Balak, build me seven altars and prepare seven young bulls and seven rams for me to sacrifice. So Balak did it. At what point does he say, you know what, let's skip all of that. Here's a list. Just read this. This is what I want you to do and say it's from God. Here's, here's, my, here's my list. But, but Balak keeps doing He's prepared. Do you realize this takes weeks to do everything that we're seeing in this story? Weeks and weeks, preparing all the altars, doing all the sacrifices, going to the next place, preparing all the altars, doing all the sacrifices. He's spending weeks and weeks doing the stuff, and he has no desire whatsoever to actually listen to the truth that's coming from all the stuff he's doing. That makes no sense. This is one of the things for me. I never... I, 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 now, I, I've been a pastor uh, since I was 20 years old. So it's hard for me to process this as an adult not being uh, in ministry, right? I, I've, I just don't think, this is just my thinking, I don't think if I'm not serving God or if I'm just going to be resistant to what God wants, I don't think I would go to church. Wouldn't that kind of be a downer? I'm not going to do what God says, but I'm going to go where people talk about doing what God says. And then guys like me get up and make you feel bad about it. Wouldn't it just be easier to go golfing? Some of you are like, good idea. <laughs> and I'm out. When I, when I wasn't a Christian, when I went to the Navy and I first uh, went to university, I didn't go to church. I didn't want to go to church. It didn't make sense to me. I knew what was at church. People were talking about God. I didn't want to talk about God. I didn't understand I still, to this day, I don't understand. And I'm not saying, you know, we got issues going on in our life and we're back and forth. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm saying coming to church and then just blatantly not doing what God has said. I don't, I just don't get that. I don't, and, and by the way, I don't know if that's you. I don't think it is. I hope it's not. But if it is, bad. So Balak did as Balaam ordered and offered a young bull and a ram on the, each altar. Now, by now, Balaam realized that the Lord was determined to bless Israel. Ah, oh, it's good to have you, Balaam. Good to, good to bring you along. So he did not resort to divination as before. Instead, he turned and looked out toward the wilderness where he saw the people of Israel camp tribe by tribe. Then the Spirit of God came upon him, and this is the message that he delivered. And he was even stronger. God is going to bless the Israelites. You cannot curse them. They will rule. Verse 10. King Balak flew into a rage against Balaam. Not God. Balaam. He angrily clapped his hands and shouted. I love this. This is like a little kid. Right? This is... This is my, when my wife gets very, she claps her hands. She'll do this. When she gets to talking and she's upset about something, and I know it's not a good moment. <laughs> and this is what King Balak is doing. And it's, it's very immature. 
I'm saying... I'm saying what King Balak is doing is very immature. You guys are reading too much into this. He flew into a rage against Balaam. He angry clapped his hands and shouted, I called you to curse my enemies. I don't want what God says. I don't want his plan. Yeah, we can do all the church stuff. We can do all the sacrifice. We can do all the stuff. But at the end of the day, I want this. And it doesn't matter what God thinks. It doesn't matter what God's will is. I want this. I called you to curse my enemies. Instead, you blessed them three times. Now get out of here. Go back home. I promise to reward you richly, but the Lord has kept your reward. This is one mature dude, isn't it? Balaam told Balak, don't you remember what I told your messengers? I said, even if Balak were to give me his palace filled with silver and gold, although he's saying it, he did get on a donkey because he wanted the palace filled with silver and gold, but he did hold strong. He said, even if all of that, I would be powerless to do anything against the will of the Lord. I told you that I could say only what the Lord says. So here's the question. Do we really want God to change us? Or are we okay with the way life is right now? And every one of us in here need changing. If, if you're right now processing, well, do I really need change? The answer is yes. You're, you're, if you're processing whether you need change, you're on the wrong track. What you need to be processing is, God, what do I need to change? How do I need to change? What needs to be different? What, what attitudes need to be different? What things do I need to be obedient to that I haven't been obedient to? What are some priority issues that I need to establish? All kinds of stuff. And, and here's some things. Let, let, me ask you, let, me, let me ask you these questions. I have said these things, these three questions. I've said them for years and years, but to very small groups of people like my wife and maybe the, uh, a staff or maybe a few key leaders in churches that are pastors over the years. I don't say these from the pulpit very often. But, but, I, but these are the questions, okay? Why do you come to church if you're just going to get mad? Think about this. And, and I'm, I, I don't want you to misunderstand what I'm saying. It's not like um, somebody got mad this week and so I'm preaching about it. That, that has not happened. As far as I know, please don't tell me if it's different. As far as I know, none of you in here are mad. Okay? You're like, I am! Just tell somebody else. But I, that's not what I'm saying. I don't, that's not what I think is going on. But I have seen this for years where we, we will be a part of the things of God. But then when something actually gets into our spirit or mind or life that disagrees with us, we get mad at things and circumstances. We get mad at people like me. Why are you getting mad at me? Again, I don't, I'm not trying to say this divisively, but I don't know how else to say this. If, if, if you hate the pastor that much, go somewhere where he ain't. Doesn't that make sense? I wouldn't go to a church that I hated the pastor or he made me mad every week. I, that doesn't make sense. Let the Holy Spirit do something. Don't get mad at people. Don't get mad at the circumstances. Don't get mad at the worship. Well, they never sing the songs I like. Well, then turn, you get Spotify. Get Spotify. You can listen to that song all day long, every single day of your life. I do that. I do that with songs that I really like. I'll play, you ask my wife, it drives her crazy. I put it on loop, and that's all I listen to for like two weeks. One song. 
Because I like it. So do that. And then when we get here, just worship God. I, I've said this before. Uh, Francis Chan said this statement. I love this. This lady came up to him after church and said, well, I didn't really enjoy the worship this morning. And he said, that's good. We weren't worshiping you. And I thought, yeah. Worship God. It doesn't matter where you are, what you're doing. I, I, I had a very profound, connected worshiping time with the Lord one time, standing in a Buddhist temple in China. And I was just praying for everybody there and praying for... And, and, and the Holy Spirit just visited me there. Connected. It wasn't about the worship. It was a guy hitting a drum going, hey, 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 hey. You know, I, that, I, I wasn't, it wasn't jiving with me. But it wasn't about that. It was about me and God. I just want to connect with God. Because you can connect with God in any circumstance, any setting. That's your choice. That's your choice. Another question. Why do you read the Bible if you're just going to do your own thing? If you've already decided what you think about that, why read the Bible? The Bible may disagree with you, and then you're just going to have a bad day. Just write your list down, hand it to God, and say, God, this is how I'm going to live my life. This is, this is the way it's going to go, God. And then God will let you. He's still going to mess with you some, because the Holy Spirit loves you a whole lot. So he's still going to mess with you, but he's going to let you live your life. So just tell God, God, I don't, I don't, I'm not going to go by that one. I'm not going to obey that one. I've seen this for years. Just, just decide that. Why do you ask Christians for help or advice or input if you're just going to get mad about it? See, this is one of the things, I, I, I mentioned this, we, I did some, for a couple weeks in a row, a few Wednesday, a couple months ago on Wednesday nights I did this, we're talking about things like in marriage, that, in, that most marriages don't have communication, not real communication. The way I can prove this is, is there anything in your marriage right now that's off limits you're not allowed to talk about? Is it off limits? Can, can, you, can you discuss anything? Here, here's another way to process it. Um, ask your spouse, if you possibly can, ask your spouse, what are the top... Uh, Three things in my life I need to change right now. Are we all comfortable right now? <laughs> Think about this. What are the top three things I need to change right now? If, if you can actually ask the question, are they going to be honest with you? Is it worth it? Is it, is it worth the ensuing fight? For weeks and potentially years. We don't, we, don't, we don't really have deep communication in our marriages, in our relationships. Ask a friend. See, this is one of the things that gets me. I, again, I said this. I don't, like, I don't like the little white lie mentality of society. In fact, let me give you an example. I am not a good example for this. But if my wife says something to me like, does this dress make me look pretty? There's something about me that I just can't say Yes. And I did tell her this morning. I told her. She looked very beautiful. She got, I said, is that a new dress? She said, yes. I said, oh, how new? She said, I got it yesterday. That's pretty new. I said, you look beautiful this morning. I don't, I don't mind telling her that. In fact, I like telling her that. But if she comes to me and says, does this dress make me look fat? What's the answer? 
No, honey, it doesn't make it. It doesn't matter what the dress looks like. The dress could have Goodyear stapled on it, and it doesn't matter. You don't say, but, but the, I struggle with that. I struggle with platitudes. You, you understand what I'm saying? I struggle with platitudes. I don't want somebody to tell me stuff that's not true just to make me feel good. I try to actually foster this relationship with my staff around here. That I, I, I know it's, it sounds good in theory and doesn't always work, but I really do try to make sure that with our staff and leadership relationships, um, if you've got something that you want to tell me, tell me. I'm going to tell you what I think too. I don't think that's a bad thing. Let's hash it out. I don't think that's a bad thing. The problem is, is when we either don't want to go there, we get our feelings hurt when that happens, or we just, we just um, give false platitudes. I don't think that's healthy. That, that, sometimes I ask my wife, right before she's going out the door, she's reaching for the door handle, I'll say, are you wearing that? Now, I think it's beautiful, but she didn't ask that, so. Okay, again, I'm not the example. These are not good marriage tips, all right, just so that you know. But guys, I really do think, I think we do the same thing with God. I think we say things to God like, well, what about this? And we have no intention of God answering us. We don't want him to give us truth. We don't want him to speak anything into our life. We don't want his word to tell us something. We can read stuff in the Bible, and it makes us feel uncomfortable and starts catching our spirit and things like that. And, and so then we say, well, I, I just move on. Let's go to another place. Let's find another scripture. Maybe, maybe this scripture will be better for, for me. Have you ever noticed when people say, you know what my favorite scripture is? Or, or um, you know, the, 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 the little daily breads, I, those things drive me crazy. You, used to, you can't even get them now, so you probably don't even know what I'm talking about. But it's a little plastic loaf of bread with little cards in them that are scriptures. And for years, that was popular. Everybody got, I never saw one of those ever that said anything about conviction. None of them are about conviction. They're all like pep talks. You can do great things today in Jesus. Well, what if that great thing is, God, forgive me, I have not been doing what you asked me to do. We don't go there. It's not part of our, it's not part of our peppy uh, scriptures. But, but God wants to change us. It's more important to God what he's doing in us than what he's doing through us. And we don't think like that. He wants to do amazing things through us. Don't get me wrong. But the way he does that is he does something inside of you. And he changes you and he develops you and matures you. And then what comes out is solid, a lot more solid than what you potentially have the ability to accomplish by yourself. He wants to do something in you. And he's always wanting to do that. Every moment of every day. So, so I, I wrote down some things that I think are some areas of concern that we could say, these are some things, and there's a lot more to this list. I, did, I actually took things off just to keep it short. But these are some things to process. You say, well, how could I possibly be knowing what God's word says, do it, but not doing what God's word says? Here's, I think this is the biggest one in the church. Number one thing right here, forgiving other people. We know God's word says it. We know it's a truth. We know it's vital to our Christian growth. In fact, God says that he won't hear our prayers. If we've got unforgiveness between us and somebody else, he doesn't hear our prayers until we go get that right with that person or that we forgive them, then God hears that. He says that he doesn't forgive us unless we forgive others. 
How much bigger can you get? And, and, I, and I guarantee if we just went through this room with the power of the Holy Spirit revealing that there are many of us in this room that are struggling with unforgiveness. Guys, you've got you to go, go there. You've got to work on it. Don't play games with this stuff. What about just holy living, holiness? I talked about this quite a bit Wednesday night too. But the idea of holiness, really saying, okay, God, I'm, I'm going I'm to get all the filth out of my life. There's so much filth that we have. And what we do is we, we, we placate ourselves. We, we, um, we kind of lie to ourselves. We say, well, I'm not committing adultery. I'm just watching naked people in a movie do it. Seems quiet. What about obeying God's word? Truly just obeying his word. Whatever he says, if this is what he says, then do that. If this is what he says, then do that. How you treat people. Your, your attitude toward life, your, your finances, your resources. If God's word says it, it says it. We just got to do it. What about walking in the Holy Spirit? Truly saying, Holy Spirit, I need you to be leading me and guiding me daily. It's so easy for us. I don't think this one is one that we don't do on purpose. I think this is one we do through just natural attrition. That we just kind of get lazy in life. And walking in the Holy Spirit becomes difficult because, because we're not intentionally pursuing that, that Roman 6 mentality. Okay, what about um, witnessing? As you know, I beat this drum all the time. But the, the, it's the only thing in Scripture that we would call the Great Commission. It's the only thing that God has commanded to every single person that we're supposed to be doing this. It's the only thing that reached that gravity in Scripture. It's the only thing. And it's for every single person. And we can go years and years without witnessing to anybody and still be good. We've, we've built a Christianity in America that says, I don't have to do that. It's okay. I've even seen it to the point where we start building sermons and writing books and stuff about how not everybody's even called to do it. Well, here's the thing. If not everybody's called, who is? It's interesting that any conversation I've ever heard with somebody about I, I, not everybody is called, it's because they don't think they're called. What if, what if God didn't call everybody to evangelize, but he did call you and you're just not knowing it? It's disobedience. Right? We've got, we've got these things in Scripture that God tells us. And, and we convince ourselves, well, that's not, I don't like to read there, so I'll go somewhere else. I'll go to another place and maybe, maybe God will change his mind if I go over here. And I think this way. Being an active part of the body of Christ. Just re, being a, a very healthy member in the body, ministering to others, doing things. How can I help other people? How can I minister to other people? How can I, something like a life group. How can I do something where I can tr truly help somebody? Maybe starting a, a, a little Bible study at, at work in your break room or something where you can just try to, try to be a change agent somewhere in life. Just being that healthy part of the body of Christ. Calling other people, ministering to them. This, this, this has been irritating me about where our society is going um, Christy Ballinger uh, broke her ankle last night, and she's in the hospital this morning. I can't go to a hospital and visit people nowadays. That irritates me. They let me in with my dad a few weeks ago, um, but it's my dad. They didn't, I, I was, I'm a pastor, okay, but um, he's my dad. Okay, we'll let you in. I'm, I've never been turned away from a hospital in 30 years until COVID. Do you think that's coincidental? Satan is trying to separate, divide, control, all this kind of stuff. Guys, 
Just figure out how to minister to somebody. Just take a cooked chicken to your neighbor or something. Just hand them a chicken. Put a mask on. Get in a, get in a whole hazmat suit and just say, Jesus loves you and hand them a chicken. Do, do something to minister to somebody else. We can. Don't, don't let life and things that society throws at us convince us that we don't need to do this. I think we need it more now, right now, than ever before. Our society is so fractured right now. Your neighbor needs you. Does. Why don't you stand with me? So I want to pray for us, and then I'm going to ask a question. And uh, we're going to pray about that. God, I, I uh, submit this, this moment, this message, this... I, I submit it all to you, God. Lord, I, I want, I truly want for you to change me. I don't just want to be me. I want you to change me and, and change the, the way I think so that I'm more like you, less like the world. God, I, I, I'm not concerned of, of what people would think about this. God, I'm concerned about what you would think about this. And Lord, I pray that all across this room, that we would just open our soul up to you and say, Lord, do what you want. Show me, teach me, guide me. Show me your will. Give me, give me the next step. Give me the, the change I need to make. Give me something that needs to be different. God, I, I just submit myself to you. Holy Spirit, you, you're, you're the one that does the convicting. So move all through this building right now. Convict us. Lord, don't let us just walk out of here saying everything's good, but truly convict us. Truly work on our minds, our spirits, the way we think about things, the way we think about ourselves, the way we think about you, God, the way we think about other people. God, work on this. In Jesus' name, we need you. We need you so much. Lord, we just do that. God, thank you for speaking to us. Lord, thank you. We don't take that for granted. God, thank you. 
And Lord, we do. We just tell you you're amazing. That you have a plan for us that's amazing. That you are full of grace and mercy. That you love us beyond what we could ever return or ever even understand. That you've got a plan that, that, that is going to use us the way you created us. Lord, we ask you, fill us with your presence. Fill us with you, Lord Jesus. God, we want to do what you've told us to do. We want to be obedient to you. In Jesus' name we pray. We want to be obedient to you, God. So God, I pray for anything that, that would hinder that, anything that gets in the way. I want you to do your will. God, break the strongholds that are keeping us, that are holding us back. They're keeping us from seeing the reality. Lord, we can see it in, in black, and we seem to struggle with it, seeing it in our own lives. God, break down strongholds and open our eyes so we can see. In Jesus' name. Keep your head bowed. I want to I ask you this question. And I think there's something spiritually dynamic, cathartic, that says that, that, that we would make a decision, a conscious decision of direction. If you say, I really need God to do something different with me, or, or the, a better way to say that would be, I need to respond to what God is trying to do in me. I know God's trying to do something. He's trying to get my attention or change something or help me to see him or, or stop doing something or whatever. But if you say, that's me, I, I know I need to listen. I can tell the Holy Spirit speaking to me and, and I need to listen. I'd like you to raise your hand. Yeah. And keep your hand up. I, there's a reason. Just keep your hand up for a little minute. Say, okay, this is, um, th th this is, this is my hand up. God, you... You see, you know, you know why that person raised their hand. God, you know more than they know. You know the necessity for this moment in their existence, the necessity for, for submitting to you about this or changing something or, or, or thinking differently. Lord, you know, you know how important it is, not just today, but a year from now or 20 years from now, that we do what you've told us to do. God, I also know, I know that you have given us and will give us the ability to do this. We're not trying to accomplish something outside of you, God. You can convince our spirit, deepen our spirit right now. Convince us that we can, through you, we can accomplish these things. God, help us to see it and to know it. In the name of Jesus. You're the one that's in charge, and I'm going to submit to you. I'm not just going to say you're in charge, but I submit to you. I'm going to follow you. I'm going to follow your word. In Jesus' name. God, you've called, you've called us to do things. You've called us to, to, to stop doing things. And so, Lord, we need that. Lord, we repent. We ask you to wash us clean and make us yours us right with God the Father.
of Jesus. God, and don't let us just move on and forget about it as we leave here this morning. God, keep it in our mind. Keep it in our spirit. In Jesus' name. Lord, and I pray for me, I pray for every one of us. God, help us to put you as the number one priority in our life. Above everything. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for being patient with us. For caring for us. For speaking to us. Letting us love you. God, thank you. Before noon tomorrow, God's going to give you the opportunity to let somebody know Jesus loves them. Look for an opening. Look for an opportunity. Look for something. To pray with them. Talk with them. Do something. And God will honor that in your life. It's a guarantee. So shake somebody's hand. Tell them how glad you are that they are here. Hopefully it will be truthful. And we will see you Wednesday night.